Thank you, Dion. We uh, have been doing a series on discipleship because uh, that is uh, what we're called to do, is yes. to make disciples. Uh, Matthew 28 says, go into all the world, to all the nations, and make disciples. And uh, this is one of the core verses that we've been looking from John chapter 6, uh, because it is interesting in this passage that uh, Jesus, or the, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, uh, makes a delineation between people who believed in Jesus and people who were to be disciples. And uh, Jesus, uh, it says, he addressed. So in the situation here, there's a whole bunch of Jews that they're in the uh, in the temple, I believe, and he's talking about you know talking to them. And there's a range of people believing in the in the crowd. Some who were against him, some who were for him. No doubt his disciples were there, and that, that some of the Jews were beginning to believe the things Jesus was saying about himself, how he was the bread of life, how he had come. To, uh, to, to sacrifice his life for them. And the Bible says, and they were believing on him. And then he turns to those believers and then he says, if you want to be my disciples. So a believer is, is uh, different to a disciple. Uh, someone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is not necessarily a disciple. And so there's privileges and blessings that come with being born again, with being a believer, but they're not available for you unless you are a disciple. And so Jesus highlights one here. He says, if you abide or dwell or live in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So we've been looking at this delineation and what it means to be a uh, what it means to be a disciple once we've come to Christ, once we've ex expressed faith in Christ. I can remember graduating or you know finishing Bible college, and uh, my wife, if someone asked me today, when's Linda getting back? As Sarawa asked me, when's Linda getting back? And Linda's coming back with Elise. She's getting back for those of you who would like to know. 10:30 a.m. on the 1st of July. <laughs> would you like to know how many hours? So I'm looking forward to that so we'll uh, see her and it's great to have Carlos we get some musicians back great to have Carlos back and a few others so you won't recognize this place in a couple of months well you will park in the car park you recognize Chloe by a dicky hat <laughs> it's a lovely hat it's you it must be you you've worn it all week <laughs> it's a lovely hat. I know it's a lovely hat. She's got to get used to this Australian humour, you know. If you, I'll get in trouble. Linda's not here. I'll get in trouble for backing out, Chloe. But anyway, where were we? Disciples. So I graduated from Bible college, and then I realised, well, what are, what are we here to do? And we get this impression we're here to reach the lost. We are here to reach the lost. But the purpose of that is to make disciples. And then I had to ask myself, well, what is a disciple? Now, you would think a couple of years of Bible college and being a Christian for, for decades that you would know what a disciple was. But I honestly could not give a clear, succinct answer as to what is a disciple. And so I had to go and uh, do what we should all do when we have questions like this is study the Bible, study the scriptures. 
like the Bereans, you know, the Berean church, they, they preached the gospel to the Bereans and the Bereans had a different heart, it says in Acts, to the others. The, the, the Bereans studied the scriptures to see if it was so, right? Had a different heart to the Ephesus, Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Philippians and the Colossians. And the Bereans is, is they, there's no book in the epistle written to the Bereans to make correction. Did you notice that? Right. So, because they, they studied the scriptures. So I studied the scriptures and I realized something very profound. A disciple is someone who seeks to know God's will, to find the truth from the scriptures, and to do it. That's uh, pretty simple. So we're here, our purpose here, part of our church's purpose, our main purpose as Redeemer Coast, is to build in you a heart, a desire to find the truth of Christ, to find his plans for your life, and to put those into actions, to live it. So we have uh, in, in, Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 11, there's no need to go there, but you can write it down. Acts chapter 11, uh, Paul had been preaching in Antioch for quite some time. Actually, there was a revival happening in Antioch. Uh, Barnabas was there part, and he went to the city and he was amazed at these, the amount of salvations they were having. And so all thousands of people were believing. And so he went and, and looked for Paul, found Paul and brought him back. And it says that he taught there for a year. Daily he taught and many, many believers came daily to hear the teaching and to sit under the teaching. And it says it was... It was there that the disciples, so there's believers, and then there's disciples who came and sat under the teaching regularly, obviously applied it in their life, and it's there that the disciples were called Christians. So really, the, in, the, in the scriptures, Christian, the title Christian is actually for disciples. It's for people who have in their heart to find God's will for their life and to do it and to follow it. Yeah. Now, a disciple actually means to learn from, and then there's uh, different applications for that, but there were many teachers going around uh, Israel at the time. Uh, Jesus was there, and, and there, there had been for many generations, and so people would follow those teachers around the countryside, and uh, they would learn from, from them, and they try and put it in... In, into action in their life. And they noted that, that people, and they noted in Acts, that the disciples who had been with Jesus were different to other disciples. They had power in their life. They had the same power that Jesus had in their life. They were different. And there's three basic things to consider when we consider what a disciple is. First of all, there's beliefs that we need to have, that we have now that need to change Otherwise, why would we need to study the scriptures? We have to start from the presumption there's some things I believe now which just may not line up with actually how God believes. Yeah. And who knows that, that God's smarter than us. If you want to look smart, listen to the Holy Spirit and read the Bible. That'll make you look smart. You know, I, I figure if he created the universe, which he did, and holds everything in place, then maybe he knows some things I don't know about. So maybe we can humble ourselves and see what, you know, what God's got to say. So the first thing is to acquire knowledge and to acquire wisdom from God. 
And, and that was the, that's the first step in being a disciple. And Jesus said, learn from me. All right? So the first thing of the disciple is to have, and you have to have a humble heart to learn. You have to have come to the decision that, uh, that maybe I don't know everything. Uh, maybe I don't know a lot. Maybe I don't know much. <laughs> who knows that the older you get, or who's experienced, the older you get as a Christian, the more you've learned, the more you realize that the more you don't learn. No. All right? And the amount of things that just go on the, on the top shelf, the Lord will show that to me in a little while. I don't have to know everything. And one of the keys to being disciples to walk in the light that you, that you have now. God will give you light. He'll give you revelation. He'll give you illumination. In fact, he probably won't give you more until you start walking in that light. Because if we don't walk in the light, we get deceived. We don't walk in the light before us. We know what, how, what we are supposed to do now as Christians. We know. Read your Bible and pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. All right. We know, and, and until we do that, God's not going to show you all these other things. We'll just stumble over them and choke over them. And we're to walk in the light that we have now. That's the first thing. And then they used a, a couple of words they used to follow me because Jesus said, follow me. And then when Paul was talking about discipleship, he said, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. So you, in one way, would follow Chloe's leadership in her faith to the extent that she follows Christ. All right? We don't have to wear hats like that. <laughs> I know Jesus didn't wear hats like that. We don't have to follow that hat-wearing example. But but we can... But Paul's going, great, I can take it off now. <laughs> but we do follow the joy. Because the scripture said, the joy of the Lord's my strength. We do follow the faith, Paul said. And so the word that Jesus used means, means literally it came, it came from two Greek words, alpha and footpath. You know, the same words, alpha and omega, the first and the last. The first and the last. And, and path or roadway. And so it meant you, I am to be the one who leads you. Where I go, you come with me. And who knows when you walk after someone, sometimes you start to walk like them. And we're supposed to walk like Jesus, not like Jack Sparrow, but like Jesus. All right? We're to mimic how he walks. And that's the second word, especially that Paul used a lot, was to mimic. To mimic means to act like. Who's ever, I won't, I've got to stop asking rhetorical questions. Sometimes I feel like my faith is an act. Now, I know none of you would ever feel like that. I know none of you will ever feel like just acting. But when you think about it, if it is what you really believe to be true, and yet, you know, you had a hard week, a hard day, someone's looked at you wrong, wrong way, and you think, I gotta love for them. I gotta act like I love them, you know? It's actually not a bad thing to act against your feelings, the way you know God would have you act and the way you know you really are. So that's the second thing, because what, what happens, the Bible says, we actually poured into, we are conformed, we are poured into these beliefs that we have, we are molded 
into those beliefs. And really acting or mimicking what God knows is, is boldness. It is doing it even when you don't feel like it, knowing that your feelings, we are not to be led by feelings, we are to lead our feelings. All right? So this third thing about discipleship is to mimic, all right? It's to act like we know we're supposed to be. And uh, when I was growing up, I had a youth leader, his name was Cliff, Cliff Powell, and he was a Christian psychologist at Chatham High School in Tari. And uh, I, would, I would go on long runs sometimes at, at, at night. So I'd run, Chatham was about 10 kilometers away. And so one night I turned up at his house and just ran on my run and knocked on the door. You know, you do those things when you're 15 and 16, you turn up 11 o'clock at the youth leaders, they knock on the door, you know, and they greet you as well. <laughs> we love you. And one of the things I asked him was, you know, how, like, how do you walk this Christian life? He said to me, to be frank, Grant, often you just have to act it. You just have to act it. But you become what you believe and how you act. So they're the keys to discipleship. Check your beliefs, follow what Jesus has asked you to do, and to act what you know to be true, to act on them. Alright. We're going to talk a little bit today about some of the differences between just believing and being uh, just believing and, and being a disciple. I've covered there if you want scriptures for those things. John 8:31 was with, uh, with which we read. Luke 4:5 is a great example. I probably won't teach on it now, but Chloe mentioned it the other week. And you look at the life of Peter, how Peter came to believe so. This is where uh, he invites Jesus to go into his house and Jesus heals Peter's mother, all right? And then after Jesus finished preaching, Peter must have gone fishing, all right? So he went fishing overnight and didn't catch anything. And then Jesus came and used his boat the next morning to preach and then he turned to Peter and he said, throw the fishing net on the other side. And Peter says to the Alpha and Omega, so I've been a fisher all my life, fisherman all my life. How am I supposed to catch fish? And, but because you've said so, Master, I'll do it, right? He threw the fish in, threw the nets in, and they got uh, many, many months supply of fish. And that's where Peter realized his inadequacy before God. And he said, he fell on his knees, he said, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, Peter, follow me. And one of the great revelations we, we, we need to come to is that our life will always end up a mess until we learn to follow Jesus. And our own personal inadequacy, that's a great story to read that. But I want you to ask you this question. What was the first sermon that Jesus ever preached? That's a, a trick question, so don't shout it out. But you think, what was the first sermon that he ever preached? And some of you will say, well, in the synagogue, and he opened his, he opened uh, from uh, Isaiah, and he read from Isaiah, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But really, probably the first sermon he ever preached was when he was a wee lad, and they went to Jerusalem. Remember, he was presented at Jerusalem, and on his way back, he stayed in Jerusalem, and the, and the parents, you know, they travelled I think it was a couple of days and they couldn't find him. They went back and he was teaching in the temple. And they said, why did you do that to us? You know, we always take things personally. Mary said, why did you, they said, why did you do that to us? And he looked at them and he said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? 
but some translations say, in my father's house. And so Jesus had from a very young age that his life purpose was his father's business. His purpose in life was to do the will of God. Now, baby Christians are very often about themselves. We think that life comes from the things that we seek after when really life comes from doing the will of God or knowing God. In Luke chapter 6, sorry, John chapter 6, turn there, and we'll see two characteristics of people who are believers but not necessarily disciples. In John chapter 6, and Jesus is performing all sorts of wonderful miracles, and, uh, and of course, uh, great crowds are following him. John chapter 6, everyone got that? What page is that, Chloe? It's so page 869, if you need to find it in your Bible, 869. It says, after these things, Jesus went uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Baby Christians follow signs. It's interesting that Mark's, Mark chapter 16 says, these signs shall follow those who believe. But baby Christians, it doesn't say those who believe will follow the signs. And very often a sign of babyhood is really just chasing after the things of God so that you can be blessed. Now God wants to bless us. God will do marvelous things in our life. But it's a sign of baby Christianhood that we do it. We were at a we were at a conference this week. We traveled down on the Gold Coast. Luke and Sarah came down with with uh, with me and we stayed in one motel pastor chloe stayed in that class pastor chloe walked first so she got the best motel <laughs> right across the road you know and um i, I noted that chloe you got the best one right across the road but you know a lot of times um and you, you see you see it, it, we've you know we've all done it and it's all wonderful god's good god wants to bless us but we've got to get past the stage of the consumer Christianity when the reason that we, we go to God and the reason we pray is so that he can bless us. God's a giving God. We, when we need things, he says, come to him. It says in James, if you have a need, it says, ask of him. But Jesus said to these people, you're just following me. Bob says, because of the signs. And babyhood Christianity goes and it's consumerism. And you see it often. And you know, we probably note it in ourselves. You know, you forget about God until you need something. Now, I'll put my hand up for that. And Mark, I just want you to nudge Sorrel and say, that's you, right? So all of a sudden we forget about this relationship and, the, and then we need something. And all of a sudden we've got to find faith and all that we've got. And that's fine. He gives generously to all. That's his will. In fact, it says in James, he gives abundantly to everyone and he, he doesn't begrudge anyone anything for it. And he's not going to check to see if you've been good enough because he's a giving God. That's his nature to give. However, he wants us to grow past that. He wants us to, to learn what it means to be about our father's business. All right? And uh, then later on, uh, they, they, they followed him to see these signs and he had some wonderful signs. And then we, we follow on in John chapter 3 
and the crowd has come because we know this, this account and there's nothing to eat. And all of a sudden Jesus turns to Philip and he's starting to stretch Philip. He's starting, because he's, he said to Philip, you follow me, you believe the things I believe, you do the things I do. And he says to Philip, how are we going to feed these people? So part of becoming a disciple is learning it's not just all about feeding me. That's one of the things I need to learn. It's not all about feeding me. It's about feeding other people. And, and Jesus said, how are we going to feed uh, these people? That's one of the things I love and appreciate why I said thank you is the people who got up this morning, and I know everyone's got different roles and different jobs, but how much do I appreciate they come happy to serve and to set up so we can sit here and we can have a time of fellowship. And, and they're here, they're answering the question, how are we going to feed you? How are we going to feed you? They're asking that question. And they're growing in their faith because they realize when you grow in your faith, you stop being a consumer and you start being a giver. You start being a sower. So Jesus asked, asked Peter, asked Philip, how are we going to feed them? And in doing that, he was testing him to believe Jesus properly, fully, for what Jesus was about to do. Now then later on, he's addressing the crowd and he says this, Luke, uh, John 6, verse 26. He says, um, that there were, of course, the five loaves and the two fishes, and a lot can be said about that. But then Jesus, uh, he, uh, he's, in verse 26, he answered them. He said, truly I say to you, you seek me now, not just because of the signs, but you, can, you seek me so your stomach can be full. And some of us, we know we've learned, actually, if ever, I've learned, if I go a day without having my quiet time, um, I know about it. I go two days, my wife knows about it. If I go three days, you all know about it. All right? So it, there is one sense, really, where we just, just for our own joy and our own peace, that, that we spend that time with God. Amen? But we actually are expected to grow to grow past that, to get to the stage where we're not coming to church really to complain about how cold it is or how long Pastor Grant went on or club has had. (laughs) We come to church to bless people. We come to church to serve. We come to church because we are an important part of that body. It won't thrive without us. And Peter's saying to Philip, you've got to learn to give Philip. You've got to learn to see the need and you've got to learn to give. And then truly, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You open, you go into a new dimension of faith, a new dimension of discipleship when you realize oh, you're here to bless people. You're here because God's given you an abundance. He's given you a gift. He's given you something. And you come and you bless someone for that. We were at this conference and Luke and Sarah and we were staying in one motel and like I said, Pastor Chloe, she booked the motel first. She booked the motel that had, had breakfast supplied. How selfish. <laughs> there was <laughs> kidneys. That's kidneys, isn't it? Yeah. She fucking she said. And uh, and but you know, I, one thing you need to understand, she didn't just book it, she bragged about it. <laughs> so at one stage, you know, I'm looking for breakfast, I said to Chloe, you know. Like, where's a good place to have breakfast? She didn't say my motel. She said, if you walk, keep heading north, you know. And so I'm heading off, it's like 7.30, I've got to be at this thing. So I keep heading north, and I get about, I don't know how, I walk like a kilometre half, two kilometres. 
And I thought, how far north is that? And I was like, we're at Broad Beach, it's at Surface Paradise. That's another five kilometers. And I was like, no, one hour to walk, one and a half. So I turned around and walked back and I found a nice place and you guys joined me for breakfast that morning, you know. And I get there, it's like some people go, I'm, the point I'm making here, I'm just illustrating. Some people go to conferences for signs and wonders, some people go for the food. <laughs> if you ever get to go to Pastor Margaret Court's Victory Life Conference in Perth, I can understand you going for the food. The food is on there. So I get there and I, and, uh, you know, come ask, how do you have breakfast? How was breakfast? I said, I found something, thank you very much. You know, after I came back, she said, you should have seen my breakfast. It was laid on. If there's an egg shortage on the Gold Coast, it's because she had three herpings of scrambled eggs and she starts to describe to me. And these people like Jesus said, they're following me because of the food. Well, yeah, people go to conferences because of the food. So then she says, oh, you, you know, by the way, I'm allowed to have guests. I thought, well, that's nice. She's <laughs> allowed to have guests. So later in the day, I dropped that hint. I said, well, tomorrow I'm having breakfast with uh, Pastor Cole, Cole Doherty, something I forgot to. And I was waiting for the invitation. Did I get it? No. All right. No. Then she comes back to the conference and starts bragging the breakfast for you. You should have seen the watermelon we had. But really, in reality, we need to check ourselves and ask ourselves, really, why are we following? Have we got to the discipleship stage where we have learned to live to give, to live for others? And we need, we need a healthy body. You know, that's part of the blessing of God. And we, we, we need the financial reserves, and it's good to live in abundance, but we have an abundance to bless. We have abundance to help those who are in poverty. We have an abundance to give to the work of the kingdom. And that's what we're here for. And so a disciple learns that there's more to life than living for yourself. There's more to life than the blessings of God. There's being a blessing and being that blessing to someone else. And every single one of us has that call on our life, whatever our situation, wherever they are, we are called to be a blessing. And I'm putting it to you today because we're here to make disciples. What has God called you? Who has God called you to bless? Now, being part of this body will be part of that, but there's people out there that God has put you this week to be a blessing to. And that's part of growing up as, as a disciple. I'm going to turn, turn with me to one scripture and we're going to look at it. We'll go to, we'll go to Matthew 10. And some of the things that Jesus said about being a disciple, which are a little bit hard to understand. I remember someone contacting me not so long ago and they just read, uh, read a, uh, a, a, a verse that, 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 um, where Jesus had said, unless you sell everything, uh, you cannot be my, unless you uh, sell everything, you cannot be my disciple. And, um, and so there's some of these things where we understand uh, uh, it may come. Linda and I have sold up everything twice, uh, probably more, uh, everything we've had uh, to, to follow uh, God's call and, and spend it all in doing that. And yet we live in abundance, praise God. Uh, but we need to try and understand the context and what Jesus is saying. So here's, 
here's a, an interesting verse, Matthew 10 and verse 38. Well, we'll start with verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We can't be worthy of him, uh, can we? All right. Well, you can answer that if you like. We can't be worthy of him. But that word means have not rightly judged my worth. And so, uh, you know, if we put in front of the service and our role and our call of disciples, if we put in life in front of that, uh, the relationships which God has given us to be our blessing, we actually, those things lose value. So, you know, you would have heard, um, you would have heard really, uh, probably people testify, said, you know, if I, if I love my wife more than I love God, you know, I can't love my wife if I love God more than I love my wife. Did you get that? In other words, the love, that knowing how much God loves us and loving Him means we're able to love better. And so Jesus is saying, if, 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 for example, you're a, fear of man or fear of what your family may say if that stops you from serving him you haven't judged my worth you don't know what I've got in store for you if you lay down even those things that are the most precious for you you don't understand the blessing that waits for you he says if he loves his father in another place he says is that you know someone's going to follow him and they said, let me go and bury my father first. Now, that doesn't mean his father just died and that, and that he had to go and bury them. That actually means my father's getting on in years and I probably need to serve him for another 10, 15, 20 years and to get all that done before I come and serve you. And Jesus said, you have no idea of a roof that is, that is in me, ready to be in you if you put me first. And they said those who have given up uh, uh, family and given up houses for the sake of the kingdom will receive an eternal reward. And in this life, a hundredfold. You'll have more love. You'll have more wonderful relationships. You'll have more friends. You'll have more family. And the family you've got will have a greater abundance and blessing to you. When we value our relationship, Jesus said, if you're not, if you value those relationships in the world, more than you value me, you do not understand my worth. You do not understand the worth I have for you. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say this, and he who has, um, verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. And that's a little bit hard to understand. But what it means is, he who tries to find life in their own efforts and their own strength and their own desires, in the end, you are gonna lose it. Now that doesn't mean that those plans and purposes aren't good in themselves. That, there's some good things that we strive to do. But if we're looking for life out of our own desires and our own dreams, you will lose it. And Paul spoke to the Corinthians and he said this, he said, every work that we do, uh, no matter what the intention, 
they can be good things. But if they're not done in Christ or for Christ, they will be burnt up. We don't take those things into heaven with us. But everything we do, which is of the Father's will, done in grace, will be rewarded for So in the end, living the selfish life, the self thing to try and promote me or, or looking for joy and looking for provision from the world, God wants to provide all your needs. God wants a life of joy, but it doesn't come from striving after the things of the world. It can be only found in Christ. Jesus said, those of you who do not judge this rightly, you do not understand my worth. You do not understand the worth that I have. I went to a funeral uh, yesterday. Um, the concern dropped me off on the way back from the Gold Coast, and there was a uh, retired pastor, his name's David Sweet, and a lovely guy. Now, I didn't know David very well, uh, I just know that he pestered me. He pestered me because every month or so, I'd get a phone, he's a retired pastor, I'd get a phone call from him. When I say he pestered me, sometimes you're busy, you don't want to take the call. And I'd, but I'd, re- I'd take it, and if I couldn't take it, I'd return it back. He always had this encouraging word for me. Like he was saying, how you going, Grant? How's the church? How's your family? And I'd you know, share some of the joys and some of the struggles. He goes, it's all right, you hang in there. God's got good things for you. Just hang in there. God's blessing's coming. And he encouraged me many times when I was feeling down. And it's just, I'd get these random calls from him. Every four, five, six weeks. It, just to encourage me. And he was a simple guy. He was a retired pastor. And he was a simple guy. He was a short little fellow. Nothing, there's anything right with being wrong with being short. But he was a short little fellow. We love short people around here. And thank you, Sorrel. But he was a short little guy. But you know, he was. I thought I. I he had this memorial service, and we were passing. I was thinking of driving down anyway, but we weren't going to the Gold Coast, so we can say, drop me off there. And as we're pulling into the car park, because it's it was our home church, Raymond Family Church down in Brisbane. It's got a big car park. It's like you know, bigger than that car park, and it was full. We had to go. We arrived a little bit early and we still had to go to the back uh, just to live to drop me off. It was full. And I went into the auditorium and it was full. Hundreds and hundreds of people. And I sat there and I listened to this story of this, this little sign writer who grew up a bit of a rebel. His father was a Presbyterian minister. He grew up, he ran away from the Lord. He always had an awareness of God in his life. So when his friends were talking about stealing two cars, he talked them out of it so they only stole one car. <laughs> all right? And he liked hot rods. You would have liked him. Liked hot rods and all this. And then in 1984, he turned up at his parents' house and his wife, he said, we've become Christians. We've found the serenity. And he lived his life, went to Bible college, and just a simple, simple guy, simple sign writer, who just found out that he had a purpose in life other than writing signs, nothing wrong with writing signs. Pastor a church in South Brisbane and some of the people there decades later with it, and the stories and the joy. Who knows that when a Christian dies, there's joy in heaven. And who knows, it's different. I've been to some funerals and they are sad. This was a joyful funeral. It was a victorious homecoming. 
and the stories and I looked and I sat there and I was blessed he didn't just bless me there were people everywhere that said every week I get a phone call how are you doing every month how are you doing even his retirement encourage them that's right be strong in the Lord I'll pray with you let's believe God even in his retirement what a glorious homecoming what a glorious reward for someone who understood the worth of Jesus Christ just simple believers and consumers where to go past that consumer stage and realize that God has in us something to give the world around, something to give our family, something to give in our church and to give from our church. That's what we're destined for. We're destined for bigger. We're destined for better. We're destined for good. Jesus said, if you do not, if you do not lay down your life, you don't understand what you're missing out on. If you value these things more than me that are around us, you know, and they're beautiful, they're God's creation, but we're valuing the creation rather than the creator. And the next level, really the first step to be a disciple is alpha journey, to realize the journey that went he went on, we must go on. That's why he says, if he does not carry his own cross, our cross is laying down our plans, our purposes, our world of desires, and picking up the purposes and the plans and the desires that Christ has for us. And if we don't do that, it's because we don't understand the immeasurable wealth that is in Christ and his plans and his purpose for us and the joy unspeakable full of glory and the provision and the abundance and the rapture that we will have especially in heaven but in this life now a hundredfold Jesus said you'll get a hundred times more than than your return now, we were down at this conference and Chloe said to me those people love you she couldn't understand it she said, those people love you down there <laughs> you know, she said, I don't understand why they love you so much, Pastor Grant. And then, no, but you, what a blessing it was to have people down there I hadn't seen for decades that come up and give you a hug and to have these little kids who were that high when our kids were in youth group and they come up excited to see you. That's what Jesus said. You've got a hundred times more family, a hundred times more blessing. What richness that I have in Christ it just because of understanding his value and his worth. Why don't you throw that picture up for me? And we'll end with this story. This is a quote from Jim Elliott. It's a beautiful quote. And it says this. It says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. Who's heard this quote? He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what we hold on to in this life that it's not of Christ, we will lose. We will lose it in the end. And you're no fool to give that up to gain Christ. And I don't know if you know Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott and his friend Nate Saint, they were missionaries to uh, Ecuador. There's a book out called Through the Gates of Splendor. And look at this date here. Born 1927, died 1956, 20. 29 years of age he died. Well, he didn't die of natural causes. He was murdered by a tribe, in, an Ecuadorian tribe, an unreached tribe. And him and Nate Saint uh, 
believe that they were called to reach this tribe. Every single white, every, as far as I knew, every white person that had ever met this tribe had been killed. So Nate Sate was a pilot, a missionary pilot. Jim Elliott had gone to Bible College and he learned some Spanish and then he'd gone to live in Ecuador and he learned some of the native tongue and they felt called to go. They had a young family. Jim's wife's name was Elizabeth. They had a couple of young kids at this stage. They felt called to go and reach this tribe. So they, they, they flew a plane in and found a riverbed where they could land on the riverbed. And, and then they, they, after a while, a day or two, they, it was the 2nd of January, 1956, they landed. And after a day or two, this tribe started to appear from the jungle and they, they made a general approach with them. And in their broken native language, they said, they said to them, I said, come back in a few days. We've, we've got some more things for you. We want to tell you some things. And then they, I think they flew out and came back and then they uh, waited again for, called them out of the jungle. And, and on one side of the river, a couple of the native ladies walked out of the jungle. So this is Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. And that's a picture of Jim Elliott. It's his crew. And so they started to approach, uh, approach these uh, native women to, share the gospel and it was an ambush because out of the jungle behind them the rest of the tribe came out with spears and knives and they speared them and they massacred them to death when they realized it was an ambush there must have been more with them or maybe the tribe told them afterwards they jim elliott went for his gun but they had already decided but they wouldn't kill in defense anyone who they knew they'd not received Jesus because of, you know, it's kind of an iron there, I don't know. That. And so he took his hand off the gun and he allowed himself to be massacred. So their wives waited that night for the call radio call back to see, and it never came, and the next day it never came, and the next day. And so the American government flew in uh, some people and they found the the plane that had been torn apart and they found the dead bodies of the missionaries. Nate, I think there was a few others, it was like five of them. Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. Now Jim's wife and young kids, they went back to the States to recover and while they were there, Jim uh, Elliott and his mate Nate Saint, their, their wives and families, they felt the call to go back. So they went back And they went back to that tribe. And they lived in that tribe for decades. The tribe was amazed that the wife of the people they had killed would come back to share the gospel. And the gospel, they heard the gospel, and many, many became Christians and became a very evangelized tribe. Their lives was changed. And he was famous for this saying, it's no fool who gives up what he cannot gain. So he gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And part of being a disciple is to realize we have a greater call. And there'll be things we have to give up. There'll be daily we have to give it up. And hopes and dreams. But Jesus said there's a hundredfold. And in heaven a great reward. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are called 
not just to believe and not just for salvation, but we're called to be disciples. And we're called to lay down our lives for those around us, for our family, for our church, for our community. And Father, today I commit to lay down my, my to carry your cross, lay down my life and carry your cross daily. Father, speak to us, touch our hearts for your plans, your purposes for our lives. We would have us serve those are lovely that you'd have us to love, those are in need that you'd have us pay for, those who are sick that you'd have us visit and pray with. Father, thank you that your dream for us is to be like Jesus to those around us. And we honour and we value the joy and the privilege to be a disciple of Jesus and to be like him to our world. Jesus name.